have a Bible with you, and, and I, I hope you do, if uh, you can turn to Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I'm going to share some thoughts from that that will set up the celebration that we're going to have. Because today is really focused on this idea that we're coming around the table. That we're not individual parts, we're not separate people that just happen to be under one roof or joining one live stream together, but that there's a connection, there's a bond that goes through this that is sometimes, maybe we make it hard to see, maybe we're not as aware of it as we should be, and we start treating church as some place you come up, you come to, you sit through sort of a performance, and then you go away. And then you fill out some Yelp review about it. There is something unseen going on in this. That's, that may be for some of us sort of below the surface. Below our level of, of awareness. But still, just like I don't usually pay attention to the foundation of my house until I start having problems with the foundation of my house. It's just there doing its job. That there's a foundation underneath of us that is strong. And we do need to pay attention to it and be aware of it. And so I want to share a message. And this message has been on my heart for a while because I was first invited to share some of these words with our students out at Camp Koinonia a week or so ago. And it was an incredible blessing to be out there. And as I shared it with them, I thought we all need to be a part of this message. And so if you have Galatians chapter 220, I'm going to invite you to find that. If I think we've put some Bibles back in the pews, and so if you want to grab one of those, if you need to locate it in that, um, it is always okay to use the table of contents. Okay? You have my permission. It's there for a reason. Uh, to set that up, I share with you a story I came across about a lady named Ruby. Ruby was late in her life, and Ruby had a crippling fear, a phobia of ever going to the doctor. And it was not serving her well. Because when Ruby finally was checked in on by some acquaintances or some friends or somebody, they said, you have got to get to a hospital. And what they were seeing with Ruby was she had a weight on her front section. Ruby wasn't a large woman at all, but she had this mass that was obvious to anybody, regardless of whether you were a doctor or not. When they got Ruby in, finally, they convinced her that it was for her own good and, and the best part that would be for her best interest. The doctor discovered that Ruby had a 27-pound tumor, which they were successfully able to extract from her. And they even had a picture of it in this article, and it was gross. And Ruby had a problem, and she became aware of it, but her hesitancy to address the problem was killing her. And with Ruby, it was obvious and there's no pun intended here, but it was painfully obvious that it was killing her. And the thought that weighs on me is to realize that 
many of us are just like Ruby and there's something that we're hanging on to and we're afraid to address and it's weighing us down and it's suffocating us and it's killing us. And the question is, will we ever do something about it? Will we address the problem in front of us? And if you want to label the problem in general, now for, we all have different specifics of it, but the problem is called sin. And I know that sin is not a popular word in our world today. But we have a sin problem. My question for anyone here, my question to you would be, what do you plan to do about it? What's your solution to the sin problem that you wrestle with? And for so many of us, we think, I can, and here's the word that we actually will use at times, I can manage this. We're taught in so many areas of our lives to manage our time, manage our resources, manage our money, manage our productivity, manage our health, manage, manage, manage. We can manage that we start to believe that we can manage our sin problem. Well, Ruby needed a healer. And when Paul, who wrote the majority of our New Testament, came to the realization that we all need the same healer. Because Paul, who you may not know about his backstory, but Paul, if the Apostle Paul, you've at least heard of him, but he is responsible for writing most of the New Testament. And if you've ever been a harsh critic of church, if you're ever here today or you're watching this online and you're thinking, church people have got problems, then Paul's your guy. Because Paul thinks church people have got problems. See, you're biblical already. Congratulations. And so what Paul does is he writes these letters to these churches because Paul came to a point in his life where he realized he cannot manage his own sin problem. And he had the best shot at doing it. Paul lived a great moral, spiritual life. He just was trusting in himself, not a savior until he comes face to face with that Savior and it totally reworks his world. And he has to go back and study Scripture all over again. And what he discovers in Scripture is that Jesus Christ is all throughout Scripture. And he has a radical change of faith. And then he begins preaching and proclaiming the name of Jesus and saying, Here's the answer to your sin problem. And so he goes around and preaches to churches and he writes back letters to these churches. And these letters were always instructional. And so we have one in, in Galatians. And this is, the title goes to, it was to the area that it was at, to the churches in Galatia. And you can look that up on maps. You can find that area. And he would send these churches and they would pass this letter around. And in Galatians two, chapter 2, verse 20, we have one of the most powerful verses in all of Scripture that helps us understand the gospel of Jesus. And if you don't have this one underlined, I want you to have it underlined and highlighted before you go out today. So here's... What it says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, I'm going to just do a quick unpack of what that means. I have been crucified. This is Paul talking and he's reflecting on us all. For all of those that have come into relationship with Jesus and been baptized in his name, this is what's going on. I've been crucified with Christ. Now, crucifixion, as you may be aware, was the process of nailing somebody to a cross. It was brutal. 
it was not what you would call soft-spoken. It, it was not nuanced. It was brutal form of execution. And when Paul is saying, I've been crucified with Christ, this is why we practice baptism. Because there is a death going on, a burial under the water, and then a resurrection to a new life. And so, when he says, I've been crucified, what Paul is saying in very real terms is the old me is dead. The old me is gone. The old me, the old you, is not slightly improved. Do you understand the difference? Jesus does not come along with a self-improvement plan. He comes along with a kill-you plan. The old you is put to death. That's what's going on. There used to be a raid commercial. Remember the raid roach spray? Raid kills roaches. Dead. Like there's any other way. Like there's a second option. Aren't you glad it doesn't say raid incapacitates roaches temporarily? Raid puts your roaches to sleep for a while. Raid kills roaches dead. You've got a roach problem, you want them dead. You've got a sin problem, you want it dead. He goes on. So I no longer live. The old you in Christ is gone. Now, that sounds harsh. But one thing that I was very passionate about sharing with our students last Thursday that I'm just as passionate to share with you is we've got a struggle, this I no longer live. In our world today, we struggle with identity, don't we? You hear all kinds of conversation about identity. and How do you find your identity? and Where do you get your identity? And I'm going to give you very brief what I think is the base problem. The base problem is we keep looking for our identity inside of ourselves. And I'm going to suggest that's a horrible place to look. Have you ever been inside of yourself? I've looked deep inside of me and I'm not proud. But what Christ offers is, hey, let's deal with the old you and let me give you a new you. One where your identity not comes because you've done a lot of self-reflection, but it comes from the one that created you. The one that said, let there be light and there was light. The one that said, let there be you and there was you. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So now, now here's your identity. You are a child of the King. And you have unsurpassable worth that's an identity is it not you are so valuable that God would rather lay down the life of his son than live without you that's an identity and I think that's an identity our world needs to hear I think that's the identity that some of you need to hear today because we chase our identity in all kinds of ways but the good news of the gospel is not that we take the old you and make it slightly improved and better. The good news of the gospel is that the old you is dealt with in an extreme way. And the old you is dead. It no longer holds directive over you. No longer power over you. No longer holds um, sway over you. You are 
freed from that, from the burdens and the regret and the shame and the guilt and the sin problem that was and could have been killing you. The life I now live in the body. So it's still your body. You're still here. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. And once again, there it is. He gave himself for me. I love this verse because there's the gospel message. There's the gospel hope in all that we do. I had a chance to share with the students that as part of my ministry, I participate in lots of funerals. And I have performed funerals for many of, the love, of your loved ones. And there's always a difference in funerals, and you'll hear me say this sometime, that there's easily good funerals and bad funerals. Or a better way to say it, there's good funerals and there's difficult funerals. And what I mean by that is it's always a testimony to the, how the person lived their life and who they lived for. And every time somebody comes up to me after a funeral and says, that was beautiful, or that was wonderful, or thank you for your words, or, or that, that was great how you put that together, I know what they're saying, and it's always a testimony to the one that lived that life because all I'm doing is reflecting back what they already lived out. The funeral, I'll share about two of them, that were, two funerals that, that were memorable to me. Um, and these are actually two that I didn't have a part in. I went to the first one. It was years and years and years ago when I was a youth minister at another church. And one of my students, their grandfather, had passed away. And I did not know this particular gentleman. He was not a person of church and of faith. And so I'm sitting at the funeral to be there to support my student. That, and as the, the minister that was um, asked to do the service... As he was talking, it was clear that he didn't know him either because he had not been involved in any kind of church. And so what the minister relied on was the one thing that he was able to say about him, that he held the record, he had caught the record-sized bass in Lake Leon. And he just kept saying that, the record-sized bass in Lake Leon, record-sized bass in Lake Leon. And even as a real young guy, I thought, that's great. But is that all? And I would compare that to another funeral that I, that, um, I participated in or I, I attended uh, not long, not much later. And it was, for another, it was for a student. And I've shared her story before. But her name is Jennifer Graham. And Jennifer Graham has left a profound impact on my life because what Jennifer did as a young, beautiful, middle school and high school student she was full of life for the Lord. But somewhere around 13 or 14, she got tragic news that they had discovered cancer in her leg. But she didn't let that stop her. And so she undergoes the treatments, and they cause all of this girl's, this beautiful girl with beautiful hair, all of her hair to fall out. And so how did Jennifer Graham respond? She would show up in youth group. And I was an intern there at the time. I said, hey, Jennifer, how you doing? And she'd whip off that, that big floppy hat that she wore. And there was a cue ball right there. She said, what do you think of my hair today? 
She goes, I'm having a bad hair day or I'm having a good one. I can't tell. And then she just laughed. And she fought so bravely. They ended up taking her leg at one point. And she still would find ways to reach out and encourage all those around. I have notes written to me from Jennifer from a hospital room after her leg is, has been taken where she's trying to encourage me. Because you see, the old Jennifer was gone. But there was Christ alive in her now. And when she finally lost the battle or won the battle, however you want to perceive it, against cancer, and at her funeral, a hundred or more nurses and doctors and orderlies and technicians that she had touched their life as a girl with cancer that touched their life, showed up at her funeral, and they were not all believers. So here's our option. You can have a life where you can claim the biggest bass ever caught. Or you can live a life in Christ that goes way beyond and I'm just going to tell you because I love you that your life lived for you is too small of a thing to live for. Your life lived for Christ is a thing that will cascade through generations and make a change. Not because you're so special. Because that's the power of the one that can handle your sin problem transform your life and change all of history and so I share that today because we want to celebrate that moment today we want to celebrate the fact that that there are some more that have said Jesus is Lord and he's my Savior and made that that testimony made that claim made that clinging to that truth that says I'm gonna put all my weight on this I'm going to trust this. So I get, I get this great chance to tell you right now that I got a phone call while I was in Colorado trying to figure out all this transmission problem. I got it from Gil Hodges. Gil says, Scott, my son-in-law, Will, wants to be baptized. Can you make it back to do it? I said, well, right now, Gil, I don't have a transmission. <laughs> I am not sure I do it. You know what Gil said to me? Don't worry about it. I'm going to pray about it. You'll make it back. Okay. Hear me say, I can't make any promises. Don't worry. You'll make it back. My family and I, we limped our vehicle, vehicle home, made it back late, 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 Saturday night. I mean, Sunday night, uh, Friday night. <laughs> Little sleep. Work with me. Saturday morning. I got to go out to um, the land where Will's uh, family, his family land, with a classic stock tank spring-fed on it. And not only did I get to baptize Will, 
but I got to baptize his best friend that's like a brother to him, Shane. And I got to baptize Shane's son, Chris. We've been praying as a church for God to give us a harvest of baptisms. I want you to watch this because God's doing that very thing. Uh-huh. 